welcome to Social Proof, a podcast about influence brought to you by Soapbox. We're in the business of social media and influencer marketing. So we talk to people every day who've built brands, fans, and followers. We're intrigued by the idea of influence. What makes certain people so compelling? Join us each and every week as we raise our glasses with captivating individuals and dig into what it means to develop a personal brand and have true influence. Cheers to real people and riveting stories. Hey, welcome to Social Proof, a podcast about influence brought to you by Soapbox. I'm Beth. I'm Nate. And we are really excited to be with my dear friend, Catherine Winch today. Hi, Catherine. Hi. It's so good to see you. And oh, I, so I guess hear you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it feels like we're close. I know, it does, it does. So we're really excited to dive into just you and your story and your book and all the amazing things that you're doing. And um, it's kind of neat because, as you know, you and I have been uh, connected for a while. Uh, We've got these sort of two worlds of, you know, big brands and shopper marketers who we work with every single day, and then all of these influencers all over the U.S., Mm -hmm. and we are matchmakers between, you know, these two entities. And I think your work and your story is just relevant for every single one of those listeners. So we're excited to have you on. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about you. Who is Catherine? What's your story? And how did you get to where you are today? Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, those are some loaded in Richmond, questions. Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tell, Tell us, us everything. everything. Yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> what do I pick? Um, okay, so born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I spent 20 years of my life pretty broken on the inside, despite being rather put together on the outside. So that was age 15 to 35. And I was a people pleaser and I was an overachiever. And I drew my self-esteem from external sources in the world. And then it, you know, almost killed me. And I finally got my act together and slayed what I refer to as my dragon of self-doubt and um, life on this side is a lot better. Uh, It's calmer. It's more normal. I feel whole. I feel deeply fulfilled. And that was not my existence for 20 years. So I'm um, remarkably proud of that. I'm helping other women do the same thing. And I have two beautiful children, 11 and 13, and I'm married to an extraordinary man. So, um, yeah, that's who I am. I love that. And we are going to, um, add into the show for everyone a moment to watch the video, uh, which you've shared with us. And it's just extremely, um, heart stopping and compelling. Um, I think I I've probably seen it half a dozen times now, and I, I don't think I ever, hold back the tears and um, just talk to us a little bit about the work you're doing with women and that story. Yeah. So um, many years uh, ago, we decided to do a lot of research with women all around the world and um, mothers in particular, but women as well. 
And we uncovered the fact that the number one emotion we all had in common was self-doubt. And I certainly had been living that way for 20 years, as I mentioned. And so it really struck a chord with me and um, just started to study self-doubt and understand myself and other, you know, human beings. And one of the things that my research was revealed was the horrible things that as women, we say to ourselves when no one is listening. And so there's this negative voice in our head that's like, you're bad, you're ugly, it's a miracle, your husband loves you. I mean, it's just really cutthroat and ugly. And so that's what we did a video about. And we recruited moms to come to be in a video, but they did not know what the video about was about. We just yeah. said it was a video put on by the mom complex. And so they came in and unaided, we asked them to write down um, the last terrible thing that they said to themselves. And they then had to read that statement out loud to another mother. And it's quite hard if you're not aware of the negative voice in your head. It's quite startling to realize mm -hmm. that these things that you say to yourself and how ugly they are, and then to have to say it out loud, it's a very emotional uh, video. It is. And I think what's interesting about it is that you sort of direct you know, they, these women direct their words to themselves toward another woman. You know, they they are speaking them to someone and they're realizing I would never speak to another human in this way. So, you know, your point is, well, why would you speak to yourself in that manner? So um, talk yeah. a little bit about um, you mentioned the mom complex, which is the company that you run. Um, and then you've sort of segued from your work with the mom complex into, I think, almost bringing all, yielding everything that you've pulled out of that work that has um, come together here in your book, Slay Like a Mother. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the Mom Complex is a consulting company I started 10 years ago, which is crazy to me. But um, And we help mostly Fortune 500 companies develop better products and programs for mothers. They're, they're mom customers, so a lot of CPG, retail, um, etc. And so we've, for a decade, have been studying the consumer-facing lives of women and mothers, but we wanted to study their full lives of what life was like and were they happy or were they depressed or, you know, what was it like outside of pushing up shopping cart um, inside of the store? And, and that's where a lot of the rich insights around self-doubt, uh, that's where it came from. And so at the Mom Complex, you know, we have a a great ability to get to the truth, to get to it quickly, because we're all moms ourselves. And we know that life's not perfect. And we don't put up with that in research. You know, a lot of mothers, that's the problem. And it's why I started the mom complex mm -hmm. is in consumer research, like a focus group, a mom's going to show up and tell you she's perfect. And her husband's amazing. And, you know, her children eat broccoli three meals a day. And um, it's a lot of lies. And it's a lot of posturing. So yeah. what a waste of money. Right. So that's fun, because we just help tell companies the truth. Yeah, I love that. And I know Nate and I were talking about, he was sort of, um, he was discussing the book with his wife last night. I'll, I won't tell that story. It's his story. But um, I think it's so interesting that your work has really honed in on this idea of, you know, attacking that fear and slaying those dragons. In fact, in your honor, I know you probably can't see them, 
that I have on. I'll send you a picture. I have my Rockstar sneakers on. Um, I've got these Nike leopard print. Like, they're very loud. They're very obnoxious. Um, Sneakers on. And on the back of one shoe, it says fear. And on the back of the other, it says less. Um, And I love these shoes. You cannot wear them without feeling like a badass, honestly. And as we were moving into having you on the show today, I was like, well, these feel like Catherine sneakers. So I have (laughs) to put them on for this convo. But Nate and I were talking a little bit last night about your book. And I think he was discussing it with his wife. And I want to just kick it over to him to chat with you a little bit more about that. Great. Great. Yeah. And I have to point out, I'm not drinking a beer for anybody that's actually. Yeah, I'm the one who thought it was a beer. It okay. looks refreshing, but. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I've been married 10 years and this journey of self-doubt is very real for all of us. And I think, um, you know, it, the book is, you know, obviously geared towards women and um, mother motherhood. But, um, you know, I think, you know, obviously men, <laughs> face the same thing. Maybe we hide it with our bravado or we hide it with our kind of macho, you know, esque, um, or bigger trucks or whatever, whatever it is. But I think, you know, there's a lot of self-doubt, you know, even in my own personal life too. So I'm curious for you, Catherine, like what was the, I guess, how were you able to overcome it when so many of us, you know, maybe don't even realize or recognize it in ourselves? Like what was the difference for you Mm -hmm. that kind of spurred this whole journey for yourself? Um, yeah, I would say that, um, you know, a big turning point, you have to get to the point that you just can't take it anymore. You know, people often say it was brave what I did and learning to love myself and stop hating on myself. But I was really done and I was really exhausted. And no matter what I did, what I achieved working 80 hours a week, I still didn't feel good enough. And so, you know, I tell everybody, you have to just hit that point where you're like, I cannot work work and try to prove myself anymore, or I'm going to die, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you have to hit that wall, I believe, you know, and not everybody's there yet, which is okay, but you're just kind of taking in little nuggets of knowledge right now. You see things, somebody like me says something and you're like, Oh, I felt like that before, you know, there's little clues. And then you really just have to do the hard work and the homework and it wasn't easy. And it was a lot of time and it was probably, two years of my life of reading self-help books, watching almost every Oprah episode, (laughs) Uh, lots of therapy. I've been through lots of therapy in my life. I can't recommend it enough. Um, And so I basically took myself on as a project and I learned about myself. I wanted to understand myself, what made me happy, what made me upset, what made me exhausted, what made me energized. And I did all that work. And now that I know myself, I know how to make myself happy. And I know how to reduce my frustrations in life because I've studied myself. And I think it's a shame how much we know about a lot of different subjects and we don't know anything about ourselves. I love that. So I'm curious, like for me, the thought of writing a book, um, just seems like it's like not even the realm of possibility for me. It's not in my wheelhouse, not in my mindset. So for you is, is writing, is writing this book, something that you've always wanted to do, or was it like a, Oh, I should write a book or it's like, Oh, I must write a book. Like where, how did that Mm. kind of journey start for you? I never, ever, ever would have (laughs) thought I would have been an author. I never dreamed about it. I didn't even 
I do now consider myself a good writer. I think the book is very good. I think it's much better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it's well written, but I never really fancied myself, you know, a great writer. It just wasn't, you know, part of my, my you know, attributed skill set, you know, to myself. But um, anyway, just on the personal side, I was so exhausted, so overwhelmed living with this dragon of self-doubt. I went through all the work, I slayed the dragon, and I had the keys to the kingdom to teach women how to do the same thing because it worked. Like, I'm not a magician. I didn't wave a magic wand. I didn't Mm -hmm. wake up one day And all of a sudden, you know, figure out how to like myself and enjoy my own company and say no to other people and yes to myself. So it's, you know, once you can get through that, but it's, you know, it's work. Yeah. Yeah. I think you probably had very much an obligation to not keep those things to yourself. And um, I can see where it it felt selfish. It felt my life so wholeheartedly changed and then I was going on I was giving speeches about it and that was rewarding and it would be a hundred people at a time you know 300 people and that was great but I wanted it to be a manual like I wanted people to have something to Mm -hmm. be like okay I know how to slay I know how to do this and a book can do that yeah but it's interesting because I think it goes so far I think the book is that necessary manual and centerpiece to what you've learned you know it's where you've put down those learnings um, but you really have built, I think, this whole, um, you know, I don't want to say lifestyle, but all of these elements, you do still, um, you know, you're hired by companies to come in and talk about um, how they interact with moms and how they interact with women mm-hmm. or how the, their women within, you know, the, the company itself yeah. can um, be supported and, and bring more of their better selves to work with with these tools. I've seen you lead workshops, you know, you on your website, you do some really cool work and you've got a great newsletter um, where you share slays from real women. I've been through one of your amazing workshops and I can't recommend it enough. And so I feel this like I'm a marketer at heart, right? But I feel this compulsion to take your story and book and workshops Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of the things that I think you've built and put together and get this book into the hands of everyone I can. I shove it at everyone, literally, I think. (laughs) So um, can you talk? (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about some of those other pieces of your work and Maybe how listeners can certainly we want them to grab the book and and uh, absorb all of the things that you share. But what are some of the other resources that you offer? Well, one of the neat things about both Say Like a Mother and the Mom Complex is we are subject matter experts on mothers, and we study mothers all day, every day, all around the world in real time. You know, using apps and really fun, you know, technology. And so, um, you know, to your point on the corporate side, we just did a big workshop for a digital one, like a webinar Mm -hmm. for Walmart's career mom resource group. So working mothers there. And so that can be a way to um, have companies do a say like a mother workshop for Mm -hmm. They're working mothers is really extraordinary. And then on the, you know, marketing side, we're working with Sam's Club right now to improve the shopping and in-club and online experience for big families. And then mm-hmm. on the Slay Like a Mother side, I mean, to your point, signing up for our newsletter, it's mm-hmm. a great way to 
see how other people are slain because as a woman or anybody as a human being you know when you see other wins that people are putting on the board you know let's just duplicate those let's right. just say oh that lo- that looks like that worked and right. so that's what we like about this idea of slaves is we're sharing little things that you could pick up and just duplicate just yeah. steal it yeah you you literally are taking those things i remember um I've seen it both in the newsletter um, and on your website, but also physically in the workshop with, you know, a room full of women um, and their post-it notes. And you talk about these slaves and they were everything from how they get dinner on the table. They were life hacks, right? And they were, they were were really, um, you, you kind of think that they're going to be all of these sort of, I don't know, um, predictable things, right? Like, you know, that we all have that manual to life, but Every single yeah. one I saw was like, you know, mm-hmm. mind blowing. Yeah. So talk about that a little yeah. bit more. Well, I'll give you an example of one. So yeah, we want to share things that other women can just go, oh, I can steal that. I can do that. Because as women, and I guess as human beings too, we keep trying to accomplish all these problems from scratch, yeah. you know, starting from scratch as if nobody else has struggled. So I'll give you an example of a sleigh that I heard the other day that I was like, Jesus, <laughs> um, A friend of mine was like, um, wanted to make sure her children knew, teenage boys knew that she owned the phone, you know, like it was hers and they were getting to use it and wanted to remind them. So every Christmas she wraps up like a piece of paper. That's the total cell phone bill for the year. Like the usage, not like the minutes on top, but just the plan. And it's basically a thousand dollars because they have to pay, you know? And so she's like, Merry Christmas. And, you know, and then he gets like, you know, a couple sweaters or something, but she was like, it's a thousand dollar Christmas present. It reminds them who owns the phone. It also reminds them that life is not free and we're not just, you know, getting a grand taken out of our paychecks for you to not be grateful for it. And I thought, oh my gosh, like everybody (laughs) needs to do that. I'm like, I know it's like, I can't wait. And the, you know, Netflix, I'm like, yes, my child is getting a bill now and I'm going to let her know she has you to thank. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So you just say you're welcome. So, So it's little things like that. It's fun. I love that. I mean, they really are. I hope. I hope women and men will go out to your website. I think it's it's so I'm just again marketing you. I can't help myself, but I just think it's all so well laid out. Like you are building this blueprint and this roadmap and you know not, not everyone's a reader, right? But there you are equipping them and and putting these tools out into the wild and which kind of leads to my next question, you know, we we are an influencer agency, and so we we work with these people every day who, like yourself, in different ways, have really, you know, built a brand, built an empire, and we are very passionate about understanding, like, what does influence mean, right? We all have influence, but how can you wield it with integrity? And, you know, your influence may not be, you know, being this, you know, 100,000 count followers on Instagram, but you, you wield influence in a number of ways. And I'm, I'm curious what's non-negotiable for you around your personal brand and just kind of what you stand for when you put yourself out into the world. Yeah, I, it's a great question. I, uh, I have some pretty stiff boundaries on work-life balance and what I'm willing to dedicate to a career and to a a job. And and that is marketing a book, you know, and running a company. And so, 
you know, even I'll give you an example. When I was signing up to be with like a speakers bureau, it's just like a machine and they just want to pimp you out, yeah. you know, all the time. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, they're like, how many gigs can you do a year? You know, I was like, well, I'm not an animal. You're like, I don't, I'm a machine. Like yeah. I need to sleep a lot. You know, like I, I have a routine, you know, and I finally found balance in my life and I'm not going to screw it up now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I was like, I don't know, like, not even once a month, you know, I want to yeah. do five a year, but I want them to be extraordinarily meaningful, you know? So I'm just more of a quality than a quantity mm. when it comes to my own brand and my own time. And the mom complex is the same way. We're a successful consulting company and we've reached a certain plateau of revenue. We have eight employees and like, we're done. Like we don't need more employees. We don't need you know, extra headaches and heart, you know, like we can make yeah. enough money in a year to help really big companies do really cool things. Yeah. And we can go home and see our family, Yeah, you know, that. and that's imperative to me. Like that's, I finally found balance and there is nothing that is mm-hmm. going to get in the way of that. Yeah. It's amazing. I always mm-hmm. say on that front, like my new philosophy after so much therapy and soul searching is that for me, four is a, more is a four letter word. Mm. And so always chasing more money, more employees, more book sales, more the, you know, yeah. it's, um, it doesn't work for me. It mm-hmm. just, you know, puts me in a hamster wheel real fast. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So <clears throat> you, your your company, the Mom Complex, is geared towards helping companies right better understand women, mothers, and then your book, your book is geared toward mothers, right, and and helping the mother. Um, I'm curious, like, do you have do you have a favorite story of you know someone that you know whose life has turned around or truly been touched that kind of keeps you going and keeps that motivation up for you? Uh, yeah, I have uh, I have a lot of those. I will go back to the target audience real quick, though, is that I believe that the message of Slay Like a Mother is universal for mm-hmm. men, women, teenagers, senior citizens, gay, straight, non-binary, mm-hmm. you know, it um, because the, the the story behind Slay Like a Mother is about self-doubt. And that is a human condition that, to your point earlier, Nate, a lot of people have and a lot of men have. Mm-hmm. Um, women tend to over-index in the uh, yeah. self-doubt department, but it, but but a lot of men have a lot of self-doubt and it really identify with this message. So a lot of the anecdotal stories, you know, kind of emphasize motherhood, but it's interesting. A lot of women will read it and then they'll make their husbands read it (laughs) because either the husband needs it or some women have told me that, and this is a meaningful story too. It's like that she wanted her husband to read it because he would understand her better because Mm -hmm. so much of this is just inner turmoil and it's not obvious. And we all wear a mask and we all pretend like it's not going on. And so for a lot of people, they're like, Oh crap. Like, you know, like I didn't know that you were hemorrhaging self-esteem on the inside. Um, but here's what I always say about wearing a mask is that everybody else might not know that you're wearing a mask, but you know that you're wearing a mask. And every time you lie 
and say you are okay mm-hmm. when you're not and that everything's fine, what you're saying to your soul is that the truth doesn't matter and your truth doesn't matter. Like yeah. your soul hears it every time you posture and say everything's okay. And so that's an exhausting yeah. way to live. It is. So fake it till you make it. it's not your... Not, not your Well, platform. I did it for a long time. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I say that to myself. Like, like, yeah. I'll just fake it till you make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. And you're tapping into, well, I mean, going back for just a minute again, Nate and I were talking a bit about the book last night and he commented in so many words that it's very different from most of the kind of mom-oriented or women-oriented books he's seen, encountered. And um, what what struck you about that, Nate? I just, it seemed like the language was just more straightforward and real, you yeah. know, and, and, yeah, and no, less, I agree. you know, less kind of this flowery language and this kind of idealization of motherhood and, you know, this yeah, yeah, holy yeah. calling that, that motherhood is. And yeah. it seemed very, yeah. just, it seemed, it seemed <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. more raw and real to me. Like, oh, this yeah. is, this is like what motherhood is really like, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 And I always wanted, you know, when I first got the book deal, which was so exciting and again, never oh thought gosh, I'd be yeah. an author. I mean, it was just so cool. Um, I really wanted it like, and you picture it like, you know, in a bookstore, like a book section. And I really wanted it to sit in self-help. Like I didn't want it to sit in parenting. That mm. was very important to me because it's not a parenting book. This is not about you can learn some tips and tricks that'll make you a better human that therefore will make you a better parent. But um, that was important to me that the framing of this was about self-help, you know, in general that had a slant towards women and mothers, but that it wasn't, it shouldn't sit next to, you know, how to feed a five-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's interesting as well, because I think even on the other end of whatever spectrum you discuss. So the way I was raised was very confidence instilling. Um, it's it's who I am. It's, you know, what my parents taught. And I don't think it's bravado or false confidence. It's just, and, and so I spent a number of years almost making excuses for that. Like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm intense or I, yeah, I come on strong or I'm enthusiastic. It's very real. You know, I'm not, feigning confidence. In fact, I always worry that I'm going to um, just storm, you know, storm the castle sometimes. And I have Mm -hmm. to like pull myself back into (laughs) being a little softer. We were joking about this earlier. (laughs) Um, You know, being, being more caring. It's not that I'm not a caring person, but I think a lot of what you've done with Slay Like a Mother is just to kind of, you know, not in a therapeutic way, but just tell women, however you're wired, that's okay, bring that. And I think yeah. your language in the book speaks to that. You know, I I actually don't struggle as much with self-doubt as I do struggle with, you know, we all have our dragons, right? And that's mm-hmm. what I enjoyed in your workshop around, you know, the mask wearing and the, you know, what we're telling ourselves, the lies that we're telling ourselves. They look very different for everyone and so it you know it leads me to kind of ask you about this may sound oversimplified but 
you know, the language you use, the the brand that you convey mm. in your writing and, and on social media. Yeah. You know, we've got people listening who are either, you know, maybe they're marketers or shopper marketers by day or they're leading companies or maybe they're, you know, building a side brand as a, a fitness coach or they're, mm. they're just trying to identify their voice. They're trying to identify yeah. their brand. So can you talk a little bit about how you've done that and what it is? Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's so great. So I've done so many interviews about the book and my work in general, and no one's ever asked me that. That's (laughs) such a great question. Um, And I love branding so much. So it's so fun to talk about. So I mean, a brand is everything. It's absolutely everything. And it sets the tone for who you are and how you're going to show up in the world. And it's definitive. It has edges. You know, it is this, it is not this. And so um, I... So the title came fairly late in the process. <laughs> I had written the vast majority of the book. I, it was obviously about a dragon and you were slaying this dragon. And we all knew that slay would probably be in the title, but we were really striking out with the title. And so the brand, the book is aggressive. Yeah. I mean, it is about slaying is. and killing and taking down something that is trying to kill you. Yes, And it, what I love about that brand and it was so intentional is that I wanted it to be heroic because what I did to slay this was heroic. Like Mm -hmm. it was so life-changing and in other previous book proposals, I felt like it was a little wimpy sounding like, Oh, I was so broken. And then I healed myself and it can be really sappy. Like Nate, to your point too, about other Mm -hmm. Um, books in this genre. Like I was, I did not want it to be that on the inside. So the fact that it wasn't that on the inside, the title became everything. And we had like ready, set, slay and like slay your day. And they were all like, yeah. And, and then when we came up with slay like a mother, I was like, that is it. Mm -hmm. And I was so new (laughs) to being an author that I was like, um, who gets to decide? Like, what if the publisher doesn't like it? Like who wins? I don't know. Do I have any power? Do they have all? the power, you know, and I decided, and they eventually went with it. It was a few hiccups a little bit along the way, but they went with it. Um, but I was like, I won't turn in the manuscript if this is not the title because I felt so strongly. And then when you do like, let's just say you're doing a fitness thing. Once you have that parameter, that's aggressive, it's sharp, it's X, Y, Z. It's empowering. Mm -hmm. Then when people, the reason you need a brand is then when people bring things to you, you know, whether to say yes or no. So when they brought me a pale pink cover to this book, I was like, under no circumstances, (laughs) is this book going to be pale pink? It's about slaying something. It's aggressive. Like, and so as a brand manager, your life becomes a lot easier when you have a brand Mm -hmm. to actually stand on because you're not like, well, I don't know. Do I like pink? Yeah, totally. I love that. And I think we've got the book here, if I can untangle myself from these cords, which I'm not accustomed to. But um, first, thank you for being so on brand with Soapbox, because you've got this teal that just, it looks striking on our bookshelf. Uh, We have several copies. You're welcome. Yeah. And the gold, I mean, to me, it just feels like literally the pieces falling of something that, you know, has been destroyed and rebuilt. And um, it's just, it's a wonderful work. And I love hearing... The, the story behind that brand, because like you, I'm I'm a pretty passionate marketer and wordsmith. But um, yeah. one other thing about the brand that, that made me think about is I was really insistent that it didn't have a book jacket. Mm. Oh, I hate Thank book jackets. You. <laughs> because book jackets, the like, they just get 
dirty. They, they pull do. off. I end up taking, they get torn in my purse. I, I mean, pull them off right away. That's what I do. I'm yeah. so with you. Yeah. And then it's a plain book. And I thought, oh my gosh, if they take this, if this was a jacket. And when it comes off, it would be just a white boarded yeah. book. I mean, yeah. that's, that's terrible. And um, so that goes back to the brand. Like then you can make things additive and even right. better, right. you know, where it's like, and well, this have, shouldn't be yeah. some wimpy cover that's going to get, tw- I mean, this should be like a coffee table book. This right. is like a Bible, you yeah. know? And um, so that's another fun, you know, thing about. I love that we unpacked that. That's that's the kind of thing I, I love. Yeah. So, Gosh. so Catherine, like in this kind of marketing and vein, you know, how do you manage then? How, how do you kind of eschew the word more and still maintain that ambition and growth, you know, for your, you know, five-year, 10-year, you know, business strategy down the road? It seems like for us as yeah. marketers and salespeople are like always focused on more growth, more sales, more, you know, and you said you mentioned that earlier, kind of that's a four letter word for you. So how do you manage, you know, those kind of dual desires there? Yeah, I think it has to be, um, there are instances I'm okay with more, but it would have to be like more impact, not more stress, you know, so you can start to get more nuanced with it. Mm, So, you know, for example, I've run a consulting company. The tendency is, okay, you did a million dollars last year. She did $2 million this year. And then you're Mm going to go to five, you know? So from the outset, I said, even to my business advisor, I'm not doing that. I want to go to a plateau and then I want to dance on the plateau (laughs) because I'm tired of climbing with the pickaxe. you know and that when so part of it is about setting goals so don't set goals that you can't achieve Mm -hmm. you know these like ridiculous like annual growth goals that like you're just starting out in the hole like it kills morale everybody's like oh my god we got to make 20 million dollars this year you know there's all this weight and then you make 20 million the next year like yeah make 25 you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's never enough so it for me, it was around setting the goals and making it clear to everybody that works for me, like that the mom complex is not a place like that all of a sudden you're going to get a landslide of like a raise and then get like five new employees to manage. Like we're not growing as a company. Mm. And so we're all like kind of at where we're at. But on top of that, it's unlimited vacation. You can work whenever, wherever. You're going to be deeply fulfilled. We don't work on the weekends. You know, we yeah. travel together we used to, but, um, (laughs) and so it's, you have to figure out what your currency is. So I still get that fulfillment of more because it's addictive and I'm an achiever, you know, and I want that, but it's more impact. Like we've started a program where we're, um, accepting donated books, Mm -hmm. like a mother, we're giving them to incarcerated women around the world. And so like, that's not more money, but that's more impact, more life and impact and joy. Mm-hmm. And so just channel it to something. And that this is just me, like for somebody else and plenty of people, more money is yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. So just make sure you're going after the more that actually fulfills you mm-hmm. instead of yeah. like, everybody makes it about money, even I got two, after my book proposal was rejected for four years by 23 publishers. <laughs> In the end, I ended up getting two offers for advances wow. from two different publishers. One was the number two publisher and one was the number 10. And I turned down the number two publisher and a much bigger advance 
because I wanted to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Mm. I yeah. didn't, I'd never been an author before. I'd never written a book. I you was going to go be to this like, it, yeah. huge machine. And I was like, I don't know how to write a book, yeah. you know? And I wanted somebody to hold my hand and I wanted to write what I wanted to write. And they had a different vision for this mm. book. They yeah. they wanted it to be called the mom complex. They wanted it to sit in the sociology department. And mm. I was like, nope. nope. <laughs> and so I walked away from money in order to stay true to yeah. the message that I wanted to share. No, that's so interesting. And it seems so rare in our space too, but from what I, from listening to it, it just seems like it makes you way more deliberate about what you're going to take on and more thoughtful about the things that you're willing to go after. Whereas it seems like sometimes it's easy to just kind of chase anything that has potential, you know? And, um, I, so I love that mindset of just being really deliberate. Yeah. That's the pickaxe. And so what happened in my career was like, I had the pickaxe. I was climbing, 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 always exhausted, you know, like white knuckling, like every new business meeting that tried get more money, you Mm -hmm. know, and, um, or more like pizza hut account or something. I mean, you know, like it just, what we weren't curing cancer, like it was advertising. Um, but then you get to the top of like a pretty high mountain. It might not be the top top, but then you're like, Oh, this is the view. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what I have, That's what I have I was not working been for. home in yeah. months. You know, I eat crap food. I never work out. I'm late to everything. You know, yeah. my children don't know who I am. And <laughs> and so then it's like then you gotta put on, you know, the grown-up pants and right. get off of that mountain and do something that's not if that energy plenty of people that works for. Yeah. Yeah, I do love that. I like what Nate said as well about it being so deliberate. And um, I know, you know, the extent of the self-work you've done, which is something I think we want to dig into here in just a minute. But I have one more kind of side note question around that, um, how deliberate you are. It's something that I really admire about you. And, um, you know, back when we traveled, right, Um, if I was in town, if I was in the Richmond area, you could be darn sure I was going to commandeer your time. And um, I've always been, you know, I'm honored that when you do come to our neck of the woods, you know, you're usually mm-hmm. going to send me a note. You're going to reach out and say, hey, let's let's catch up. Let's get a drink. And um, but I feel that you are very intentional about that, which is why I think I feel honored by it. It's not like let me breeze into right. town and call everyone I know. And mm-hmm. and I think something that women uh, struggle with, something that women are terrible at is, you know, we think we have to be liked by everyone. We think we have to have this right. roster of friends. And I certainly at 43, if not, you know, 10 years ago started, um, I think really, you know, getting down to, you know, who fills me up, that's who gets mm-hmm. my time, who... Um, you know, where if I am going to take energy away from my home and my husband and my family yeah. and my business, which I love building, I, I get a lot out of it, then, you know, it needs to be pretty reciprocal. And so I want to understand how, you know, choosy you are in those other parts of your life with relationships and what does that look like and what boundaries have you set for yourself? Yeah, I mean, very choosy, mainly because I finally learned to give time to myself. And so I don't feel like I have to give it all away. I when mm-hmm. 
in my previous version of myself, I was so empty on the inside that I had to go to external sources for my self-esteem. So that meant helping friends out more, you know, meant right. doing this. It meant yep. going out for, you know, drinks and fun. I mean, just all the things are traveling, go, go, go. you know, all the time. Yes. Mm. And, um, and so now that I can fill my own cup up, you know, more and my self-worth comes from the inside instead of mm. the outside, I don't, give away as much of my time. And I tell women, you know, and men, if you have no time for yourself, if you look yeah. at your calendar, there's no time for yourself. It means you believe you don't deserve it. That's mm-hmm. what it means. Mm-hmm. It means that you think that other people deserve your time more than you do, mm-hmm. that you're not one of the humans that deserves your time. And so I no longer believe that. So I have less time to give away, right. which is fine because it's more quality. It's intentional. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that in you. And it's funny. Um, I think you've sort of empowered a behavior I already had, which is when I do or did travel, um, I'm super selfish. <laughs> you know, I I yeah. might have one person in a city who I want to see, but I'm also really excited to, you know, be alone in a hotel room or, you know, um, take myself out to dinner. Amen. And those, you know, those are really, honestly, fulfilling. I enjoy, you know, spending a night either working because I'm excited about something or reading a book and sure. which is a great segue. We want to know, you know, here, author, Catherine, what do you read? What do you consume? Whether it's a podcast or a book or a show, what are you, what are you consuming lately? I am um, consuming a lot of the history, the plight of, and the lived experience of Black Americans. And um, I've just started to devour books and podcasts mm-hmm. and documentaries. And right now I'm reading Cast. Mm-hmm. And it's the most enlightening book I have ever read in my entire life. It's like a slow drip because my mind is blown. Yeah on every page and it's so extraordinarily well written and exposes a lot of things that I was blind to. And so it's, um, you know, it's life-changing. I can't unsee or unknow what I'm seeing and learning. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And it's just an extraordinary book. I love that. We'll make sure to link to it for sure and share it with listeners and and love those recommendations. I just, um, that kind of word of mouth marketing, you know, talking to mm-hmm. people like yes. yourself and hearing, yes. Nate's going to say that this is what he is. Uh, <laughs> what are you reading lately, consumption. Nate? Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, actually, I, you you have these little anecdotes in here, like in the front cover. And I'm mm-hmm. curious for you, like, when you're writing this, what, what part of the book or what, what sentence or paragraph is your absolute favorite where you're oh, like, that, that is like, that's this book or that's me and you get most excited about yeah. in your writing. Do you have one of the, your quotes in here? That um, you yeah. I was just thinking, I'm going to try and find one, but the, the thought that came to mind was um, the thing that really sold the book. I mentioned that the proposal, so for nonfiction, when you sell to a top publisher, you're actually selling a proposal, not the manuscript itself. Mm-hmm. So the proposal was rejected for four years, um, 23 publishers. And the thing that changed it was 
a new agent and I really honing in on this idea of the difference between struggling and suffering Mm -hmm. and that the struggle is real in all of our lives, but the suffering is optional. And so that just as a concept was really powerful. And it was something that a lot of the publishers hadn't, um, you know, thought of before, heard before. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. Um, I don't think I'll be able to find this funny quote. The one like where you said it's time to shift from a warrior to a warrior, right? The W-O-R-R-I-E-R to a warrior. Just some of those helpful, like. To try recording this, I recorded the audio of that. And then I was saying that, I was like, well, I don't know. I love that though. I was like, oh, that's so, that's so clever and appropriate. You know, especially, I mean, even for, even for a man, you know, um, and a husband, you know, to be able to. And that's one thing I, I am going to finish reading this book and because I think it does provide a lot of insight into kind of how to, how to be an active listener for your wife as well, you know, and how to yes. maybe how to yes. offer some, uh, that's for me is like when they come and talk to, you know, you're like, I want to be there. I want to listen, but like empathy is not my strong suit sometimes, you know, or what to say is not my mm-hmm. strong suit. So, you know, reading this book in the vein of like, how do I not only overcome my own self-doubt, but how do I kind of help and be more empathetic and more of an active listener for my wife as well? I love that. Yeah, it can be eye-opening for men. Even, um, I'll never forget, uh, actually a client, CPG client, head of shopper marketing at one of the big companies in Bentonville. And he came through one of our mom immersion sessions, um, again, about consumerism, but also about their lives in general. And he pulled me aside and he said, oh my gosh, I have so much like empathy for my wife right now. And he was like, I don't think I really realized all that she's doing and how hard it is and this emotional doubt, you know, sitting on top of it. And he said, looked at me and said, you've just made me a better husband. Oh, that's amazing. Like, yes. But that was the, you know, the two worlds kind of combining, but it was, it's interesting. He didn't know and he hadn't seen it again. So much of this is silent. And so- yeah. Men are not mind readers. No, you know we like to think and that they not are not the best listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what's so great about women. It's like we don't tell anybody what we're thinking, then we're all mad when they don't right. know. Yeah, no, that's really yeah thoughtful of us. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I like that idea, Nate. Of you know, well, just active listening in general, which I think is something that we can all improve on. Um, the thing that I'm not so much devouring, but I'm really fired up and won't stop yapping about besides Catherine um, is something called the crew CRU that I've joined recently. It's sort of an annual program and um, you are basically matched with um, seven to nine other women across the U S it is 60% women of color, which was like you, I mean, a very, appealing to me in terms of like, let me get outside of my, the people I'm around every single day and, and get some fresh perspective. But what's neat about it is that you set, um, I should call mine slays, but you set goals or intentions for yourself. And then, you know, you meet regularly with this group and they hold you very accountable astonishingly accountable. Um, There's no like wiggling out of what you said last time that you were going to do. They're like, well, you said you were going to do that. You know, like, let's go. But my point there is that um, the first session we did, they really walked us through some active listening tips. And because I think most of the women in this group and the crew are, I mean, they're 
high achievers or they're, you know, very mm. like aggressive. They're, you know, they're, I don't want to say climbers in a social sense, but they, they have aspirations. Right. They have intentions yeah. and goals and things that they want to do in the world. And um, Tiffany Dufu, who leads the group, said, you know, you're going to want to go in here and just solve and use all of your wealth of experience for these women and tell them how they should cope with this mm. or that. And so true, right? You listen to another woman talking about what she wants to achieve and you're mentally like, well, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and here's how I would do it. And she really kind of encouraged us to just turn all of that off. And That's so great. Yes. And to ask questions um, and to say, you know, to just explore deeper. So um, long-winded here, but at the end of that coaching session where we learned how to be active listeners and to kind of be mm -hmm. present for the other team members, I went home to my teen daughter that night and mm -hmm. she started talking to me about her college choices where she's going to be graduating a year early and we're mm -hmm. now exploring like all of these things that we um, thought were a long ways off. And I wanted to mom her, right? I wanted to say, well, if you look at that school, you need to consider this. And, you know, are you sure you would be happy there? And I just took that active listening lens and asked oh, her yeah. probing questions. And it turned into one of the most meaningful conversations that we have had um, because it wasn't one-sided. I wasn't momming her. I mean, I was momming her, <laughs> trust me. But right. I was listening to her and understanding why she was you know, making some of the choices she was making and what was meaningful for her. And so I bring that all back to I am gonna what you're write doing. About that. <laughs> well, I'm going to write about that in my next book, I swear. Oh, I love it. That is so interesting too, because yeah. then, it, you know, ultimately you're getting more out of it. She's getting totally. more out of it. But what's really happening right there is you're not making it about you. And that's right. as mothers so many times where it's like, well, I have to correct you. I have right. to do this. You yes. know, if I don't, you know, sway her here and think this or do right. that, you know, right. she's going to end up in a trash can, right. you know. Exactly. And, I mean, yeah. it's this this fast forwarding of like this doomsday future. But then and so then in a lot of our egos, if we don't think enough of ourselves on the inside, we have to get it from other people. So our right. ego is caught up in being this disciplinarian as opposed to maybe I do just need to listen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, wow, right so now. hard. It is. Spouses it's so and hard parents, to do with kids. Yeah. yeah. And with kids. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But I think you are really equipping, you know, readers and listeners and I mean, dare I say followers, people who just are tuning into you, Catherine, with these so practical, you know, very real tools and, and mechanisms that they can apply to their life. So I'm just excited for more people to, you know, yeah. learn to slay. My last question, Catherine, yes. is, you know, if, if we have any listeners that are really intrigued by, you know, the conversation today, or maybe struggling with self-doubt or something like that, have some dragons they want to slay, where should they go? How do they get started? Um, I would definitely get started with the book itself. And if you are a paperback person, it's in paperback, hardback, hardback, but you can also listen to it. It's mm -hmm. available on Audible and it's actually my voice. I was we were just going to ask. We care so about who. I is, can yeah. read you your bedtime <laughs> story. Um, no, and, and so that can be interesting because you can just let it wash over you, you know, and a, and a lot of people will just kind of be exposed to it 
it and take it in because people are a different part on your journey. You know, if you just want to hear about it and see if it resonates with you and how to make changes. Mm -hmm. And there's other people that are be like writing on every page, you know, and they're in the margins and, um, you know, just different styles, but, um, and then also on site, like a mother.com, like you all were saying earlier, we have a newsletter, but also as Bethany was saying, like, thousands of slaves you can yeah. search them it's you know, really you cool. want to figure out how to slay dinner time how to slay getting divorced how yeah. to slay covid that's um, the that's the gateway wind. drug i think i think if people will go to your website they immediately see all of these practical things that um they can do right now and i think if that doesn't get you fired up about reading the book and seeing that this is a very different book and mindset you know i don't know what would so yeah, um, this has been so fun. I could talk to you all day. I often do. I know. <laughs> uh, it's, been, it's been such a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much, Catherine. Yeah, Catherine, thanks for joining us on Social Proof. And I can't wait to see you in person again really soon. Take care, my Bye. friend. Thanks for having me.